Good afternoon. Um, let me welcome you all again. Welcome everyone to uh, fellowship here with us at Ecclesia. My name is Bertram. I'm one of the uh, elders here. And um, thank you for joining us today. And uh, of course, join us in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, just to open us up, I mean, whether it's as a child growing up or as an adult now fully grown, it's quite possible that we viewed our relationship with God um, as being one on the basis of how well we keep God's moral law. Um, I mean, such a view of our relationship with God can easily run into problems um, and leave us in need of someone to help us reach a better understanding of our relationship with God. How about we just put that to the test right now? I mean, those of you who've um, attended uh, outreach training here at Ecclesia, you probably will be familiar with this. But let me ask a question. And... I'm not sure how I'm going to do this. Maybe I'll ask for a response, but you think about the response. Don't necessarily shout out. Would you consider yourself to be a good person according to God's moral law? Um, and if God were to judge you, or I, by the Ten Commandments. Do you think you would come out innocent, guilty, blessed, or damned? And um, if you think that you failed even in one point of the law or of those commandments would, and would be judged on that basis, do you think you would go to heaven or to hell? And does that concern you? I mean, it's possible that we haven't come to fully appreciate the role that Jesus plays to help us reach a fuller understanding of the covenant in which we now walk, the relationship or the agreement in which we now walk with God. So if you were concerned just now, when we did that little test about your relationship with God, it's possible that you have viewed that relationship as one that depends on what we do by our effort or based on works. Something that God no longer uh, has as the measure of our relationship with him. How can we come to a better understanding of that relationship with God? In today's sermon, we consider um, another big word in our current series of teachings. For those of you who um, don't know, we're currently going through a series of teaching of Bible of Christian doctrine, and we're following closely to the uh, series or the teachings in this Little Book of Big Words by uh, Warren Wisby. If you haven't got a copy, 
I believe there are still copies available, about 10, and it's just for three pounds. It's very, very useful, very, very foundational, and trust me, these are really solid and sound and deep foundations uh, upon which to base our relationship and our walk with God. So, um, today's word is mediation. On that note, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you. Thank you because just as we were receiving instruction regarding communion, we see and realize that you have made provision for us. We see and realize that you're doing so much that, honestly speaking, Lord, if we weren't paying attention to you, you definitely have been paying attention to us. You definitely have been looking out for us. You definitely, um, as Jesus declared, have come to seek and save the lost. I pray, Father, that even through this today, as many as have come to place trust in Jesus Christ, will even be eternally assured, more assured, so sure, Lord God, that, that you have made plans, you've made arrangements to guarantee our salvation, our place with you through our mediator, our Lord, our Savior, our high priest, our redeemer, our, our propitiation, our sacrifice, our Passover, Jesus Christ. Glory be to your name. Thank you, Lord. Instruct us this afternoon. May our hearts be truly um, lifted even from any sense of condemnation or damnation that any brings against us that you do not bring. Thank you, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today's word is mediation. Mediation. What is mediation? Um, or what is a mediator? Simply put, a mediator is someone who um, mediates a disagreement or between two parties in order to reach a common understanding. I borrow a leaf from last week. Pastor Rob talked about intercession. Uh, yes, I remember that I'm preaching today. <laughs> and, um, and he said intercession, mediation, you might just get the sense that they are one and the same thing. And he gave an illustration of some trouble that broke out. And he thought about interceding. He thought about putting himself in there to um, just go between the two parties that had a disagreement in order to at least put them apart, settle things between them, stop the hostilities. But with mediation, you don't only go in interceding or stand between the parties, you actually go in and bring the parties to an understanding bring an end to enmity, bring an end to conflict between them. As we think about this, very common in our, um, there are examples of everyday mediations that we might have seen or that we might be familiar with. Um, we hear about family mediation to settle family disputes, okay, between estranged spouses over how the relationship will continue to work, even though they are estranged. Mediation comes in to help the, the relationship still go on in some shape or form, not necessarily 
uh, that is not necessarily hostile. Um, workplace mediation when having difficult workplace situations. I mean, I just overheard Pastor Ephraim in communion talking about, you know, having bad mind towards manager at work. Where it's so difficult and peak that there is need for, look, I can't work with this chap or this girl anymore. Please move me to somewhere else. Uh, mediation is brought in to try and bring settlement, to try and bring amicable working relationships. Uh, the examples go on. I mean, <laughs> I laugh because I think about Donald Trump tweeting that he would totally annihilate Rocket Man and all that kind of thing. But that's, um, I mean, China, for example, were involved in mediating, trying to bring both parties, the United States and North Korea, to talk, to come to terms of peace. Uh, you might not know this, but then those countries, um, North and South Korea, are actually still at war and have been at war for, is it 65 years? Something like that. Still at war, but just decided, look, we're not going to be dropping bombs on each other anymore, but they still are at war. Peace, mediation. I mean, I'm sure everybody's praying, or if you like, interceding, or interceded at some point, that that situation would end in peace. Pray that there is mediation, successful mediation in that issue. And that those talks that they just had were the beginning of peace. Uh, I'm sure everybody would say amen to that and continue to pray about that because the consequences can be quite um, widespread. So, um, of course, we have examples of mediators in the Bible. Moses was one uh, between God and the people of Israel to the point where, um, if, you, if you recall, in, I mean, Moses being one famous mediator, he stood between God and the people and sometimes bringing God's message to the Israelites. But for them, it was such that Mm. the terror uh, of seeing God, God calling Israel as they came out of Egypt, come to Mount Sinai, I want to establish a relationship. I want to establish a covenant between me and these people who have just brought out of Egypt. And at the establishment of this old covenant between um, God and Israel, Things are so peak and terrifying. Here's what's happened. You might recall this if you've watched, if you've ever watched um, Moses on one of those old uh, Hollywood productions. Moses goes up to the mountain. There's thunder. There's lightning. The top of the mountain is like there's a volcano erupting up there. God tells Moses, you alone come up here. Tell the people, don't even go near the foot of the mountain. If even a goat or beast of any kind touches the foot of that mountain, it must die. It will be put to death. And that was the kind of relationship that God had with Israel. But tell me, even Moses found that terrifying to the point where he tells God, God, <laughs> I really am afraid. I tremble. 
talk less of the people who were not called or permitted to come to God's presence. So, um, still going on, what makes mediation necessary? As we're talking about mediation now, I mean, this is where um, there is a party trying to bring two parties who are in disagreement to come on understanding so they can work together. What makes it necessary? Well, right from the beginning, as we see um, in Genesis, God points out that, look, it pains me that I have made mankind. It really pains me. And he decides and resolves, my spirit will not uh, tarry or long, last long with these people. And he numbered the, the he, set, he set a limit for our human existence. But then God also determined at the beginning to wipe out all of creation. Our relationship with God's broken down. Simply put, man is not able to live up to God's moral law, just as we all found out in the, in the last few minutes. We're not able to live up to it. I mean, I had this guy in the office who was just talking to me during Ramadan and he's like, man, you know what? The truth is this. Listen, you see a nice thing, nice pair of legs. I won't lie. Just look. But you know what? God loves us all. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, but yet, you, you, but yet you adhere to this code, this moral law that you guys say is the law of God called one of those one of those religions that comes from a Judeo from from an Abrahamic origin I wouldn't I wouldn't mention which one it is and um, but still he acknowledges he's not able to live up to God's law you see this is what um, Isaiah describes or God describes that all we like sheep have gone astray we've turned everyone to his own way we could set People, people who, who choose to live without God would just set for themselves some ambition, some standard, some goal, something that they want to accomplish outside of God, without regard for God, without regard for others as well. So, man is unable to live up to God's moral law. And it's not just a case of that, but for that reason, is at enmity with God. Man is, in, is opposed to God. Rather than subscribing or acknowledging to God, man, these Ten Commandments, I just can't keep them. Even just the Ten. We would rather go about fashioning our own, our own standards of righteousness. Well, so long as I don't do you wrong, I'm fine. Or you wrong me and I wrong you back, God's Okay. Which, whatever the standards is. Uh, so we have so many examples of that apparent today. I mean, humanists. I was just looking at uh, my Twitter feed. There's a Twitter feed I've set up for alternative worldviews. So <laughs> there's the Baha'i faith. These guys believe that all faiths would come to some kind of agreement and all be lovey-dovey with each other and things would be all right then. The world would be fine, a good place that way. There's Islam. There are humanists. 
they're atheists, there's Hare Krishnas, there's all kinds of things. People would set aside, all these things come as a result of people setting aside God's moral law to set up our own, okay? Now, um, that being so, it makes it necessary for us to, if we're looking at all to be in a relationship with God, for there to be a mediator. Uh, and why? Whose idea is it that there's a mediator? Well, God goes about seeking to restore relationship with us. God goes about seeking to restore relationship with us. Here's the deal. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And we need this savior in order to come to God. Why? As we've already established, we cannot measure up to God's moral law. God is holy. We're not. In terms of relating to God, how will that work? Can we therefore, can we then in that situation be able to relate to God, be able to, um, you know, just stroll into God's presence freely? Can we enter into the presence of a holy God, a righteous God, a just God, who is morally perfect? We can't. So we need a mediator to come between us and God and to bring us into God's presence. Hence the need for mediation. Now, um, God makes the call for a new covenant all the way before Jesus is born in that he speaks about his servant who will come and who men will see and will think nothing of him. This we will find in Isaiah chapter 53 um, where God highlights that his messenger will come. People will see him but will not think anything of him. But here, God is indeed making a, a, a planned and deliberate attempt to bring us back into relationship with him. Now, um, enter Jesus Christ. We're talking about establishing relationships between us and God. Question. Being that we've all found and seen ourselves as ones who are, uh, do not, are not able to live up to God's moral standard, how then, who can then mediate for us? Who qualifies as a mediator? Who qualifies as a mediator? Perhaps one of the pastors, maybe Pastor Ephraim, Pastor Rob, the Virgin Mary, the Pope, uh, Donald Trump, me. <laughs> Cain, maybe. Um, but think about this. Jesus um, came into the world to serve as a mediator for us. Jesus came into the world to serve as a mediator for us. Um, if you will turn with me, please, to Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah 53, and let's look at verse 2. 
In Isaiah 53, we read about Christ. This is Isaiah speaking, or God rather, telling people who lived under this moral law, which they couldn't live up to, um, about a servant who would come, who the people wouldn't even recognize. But speaking about Jesus here, God says that he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Why did I bring this, um, this verse out here? Jesus came and took on our nature. When Jesus was born, we hear about um, the accounts of him being born, conceived in the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. Yet, without John, um, without Joseph, rather, the husband of Mary being involved in conceiving him, conceiving this child. Now, but here what happens is that this is God who has come in human nature and taken on human nature. But still this is God who comes and that he may um, qualify as one who is both divine as well as human. He became like us. We're answering the question, who qualifies? Who can mediate for us? Jesus became like us, um, yet without sin. Remember, we just talked about what it is, uh, how, what it is like to, to assess ourselves in terms of whether we are good people by virtue of whether we, whether we uh, keep or observe God's moral law. And I've just told you that Jesus became like us, but he was yet without sin. I appreciate something about Jesus Christ. And I know this is one thing that um, a lot of us, even I, struggle to, to appreciate sometime. How could Jesus take on our nature and still struggle with thou shall not steal? How could he be like us? How could he appreciate what it is for us when we hear commandments like thou shall not steal, but, still, but when we find ourselves in a tight place financially, there's a temptation to steal. How is it that he could become like us? But the point here is this. He's able to mediate for us because he knows what it is like to be tempted. I don't know if that's clear. He's tempted yet without sin. He didn't succumb. He didn't yield to temptation. Remember, this is the same Jesus who was tempted by the devil just to just bow down. Just bow down and worship me. And I will give you, he showed him all the kingdoms of the earth. It's, you, you could liken that to having the largest number of followers on social media today. You know, just bow down 
and I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. The devil showed them to him. He wouldn't bother if he could not tempt him. So he took on our nature and became like us, but yet without sin. So he knows the temptations that we face to sin. This is a mediator because he can understand what we go through. He can appreciate what we go through. Um, then also, Jesus was appointed as God, um, by, as high priest to God for us. This, on the other hand, is God saying, all right, look, this guy's born. Jesus is born. Jesus is gone to the earth. He's taken on human nature. But then God appoints him high priest to God forever. God appointed Jesus as high priest for us forever. Um, not Jesus appointing himself to that position. And in God doing so, God appoints Jesus in such a way that is irrevocable. So imagine you take up a contract, uh, you sign a contract with O2 and they say, this contract will never end. I don't know if anybody would sign that these days. This contract will never end. You will always pay us. You will never stop paying us. Both you, your assigns, your successors, your descendants after you, you are totally and eternally tied to us. World without end. You did? <laughs> but here is God doing that with Christ by appointing him as a high priest for us, as someone who represents God to us and represents us to God. God does this in a manner that is irrevocable. In Psalm 110 verse 4, Psalm 110 verse 4, we read the psalmist telling about this, where he says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This Melchizedek being a guy in the Old Testament we read about who no one knew his origins, no one knew his birth, no one knew his end. But he was a priest that Abraham met on returning from war. Cut the long story short, he is a priest whose priesthood will remain forever. So check this out. You have a priest, you have a mediator who is divine in nature. You have a mediator who is also human in nature and he knows what it is to be human. But you have a mediator who is also able to um, appreciate what we go through, though divine himself. And then you have a mediator who is appointed forever by God for us and for God. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus being appointed as high priest um, to God for us makes this mediation possible because he offers a perfect sacrifice to God. Remember, at the beginning of this message I talked about, we just had a little test to see how we do, how we fare. Uh, meeting God's moral law. 
that was an old covenant. That was an old agreement, in other words. And there were terms. There were conditions. If any of those conditions were broken, sacrifice was required. Sacrifice was needed, needing to be made to pay for any transgressions or breaking of the law. Here, this high priest, Jesus, offers a sacrifice that pays for all that transgression. So if you had any concern about whether you measured up by that standard, here is one who offers a sacrifice that takes care of all those transgressions. Uh, thankfully, we, we referred to this, we mentioned this, we commemorated this during communion this morning. And um, it's one of those things to really hold and cherish, communion. But he offers a perfect sacrifice. Listen to what he does. Um, he is a mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called to place their trust in him those who are called to come have a relationship with God through him um, might, may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Why? Since a death has occurred that redeems them from transgressions committed under the first covenant. That's Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15. In there, references made to this sacrifice that Jesus has made that takes care of transgression under the old covenant. Now, <clears throat> this sacrifice, of course, Jesus, the mediator, the high priest, takes the sacrifice and offers it to God. Whereas in the old covenant, in the old agreement, under the covenant that required keeping moral law, um, it was a matter of how well we kept it. Um, <clears throat> in this covenant, what God has done, or what Jesus rather has done, is bring the sacrifice to God himself. Um, time would not permit me to go into the, the, the detail of the the, the order of worship, uh, how visitors would be in the outside, um, ordinary Jews who were descendants of Abraham physically would be inside the inner, inside the outer courts of the temple. Then the priests alone would go into the temple and in the inner court and offer sacrifices, burn incense, and then just the high priest alone, one guy, would be the only one to go into the very presence or the place where God puts his presence or sets apart for only the high priest to come once in a year with a sacrifice or sacrifices. First, for his own sin, the priest, so that he doesn't just go in there and die. <laughs> and then also with sacrifices for the sins of the people. But here, Jesus, in dying on Calvary, just as we commemorated again, offers his life, his life without sin. He offers it to God 
freely on the cross. And guess what God does? Um, God shows that he accepts this sacrifice in that in the moment that Jesus dies, in that old temple where there was a holiest place, a holy of holies, there's a big veil that, that covers that place and only the high priest enters in, curtain gets ripped open in two at the moment Jesus dies. Thus signifying that, look, the way into the very presence of God has now been made open. So Jesus indeed offers the perfect sacrifice and he offers it to God right there in the real temple, in the real and actual presence of God in heaven. So um, we have this high priest who um, is divine, yet he takes on our nature. We have this high priest who is appointed by God. And then we have this high priest who also, not only has he offered a perfect sacrifice, but he also lives. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Indeed, Jesus is alive. And he lives to make intercession for us. So, he lives to make intercession for us, but not only does he live to make intercession for us, he makes pleas for us in the presence of God. In fact, as I thought about this, I just realized something about intercession. Do you know, I don't know where you work. Some of you may work in sectors where... Um, your work involves making decisions about other people's lives, other people's affairs, other people's business. Even as parents, you may, your, 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 your role involves making decisions that affect the lives of those that God puts in your charge. Do you realize that at times you may be there and a person's matter is brought to you because, of course, not, not for tattling or gossip, but because you have something to decide or you have a part to play in what in making a decision about how that person's business is going to be treated. It's interesting that the person whose matter you're deciding is not necessarily there in your presence. Isn't that so? The person whose case you're considering or the child, you maybe you're considering something about one of your children, that child isn't always there when you're talking about them or making decisions that will affect them. So it is with Christ. He lives to make intercession for us. He's right there in the presence of God making intercession for us. Can you imagine God looking to make decisions about you? God looking to bless you, God looking to make things, to do things that concern you, and yet Jesus makes a case for you. Um, sorry? Who? Antonel? No, that's one of mine. You mean Rob? That's, that's one of mine. He calls, he trusts in me. Who, Roche? Yeah, I know that one. She believes in me. She trusts in me. Her hope in you, her confidence in you is based on 
my shed blood. He makes intercession for us, for those who come to God through him. And he is right there in the presence of God. Now, something important to note when it comes to dealing with God and man, Jesus is the only one who does this. Jesus is the only one who does this. Not angels, not anyone else. Um, we, 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 we find evidence for this in um, the account where John's receiving a revelation from God. He's in a vision and seeing visions of heaven and an angel appears to him and he's talking with him. And John's about to give this angel some worship. And here's what the angel says. No, don't worship me. This is Revelation 19 verse 10. You must not do that. I'm not, I'm, I am a fellow servant with you and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. It's something that is the preserve. This mediation is something that's a preserve of Jesus alone, not anyone else. So, um, this relationship that we have with God then is based on an agreement that God has committed himself to seeing through. So we see that Jesus indeed qualifies. We've seen the need for mediation. We've seen that Jesus indeed qualifies as to stand as a mediator between us and God because of his divine nature, his human nature, um, his perfect sacrifice, and the fact that he's appointed by God for us. And that he lives to mediate for us. He lives to continually bring us into closer relationship with God. Um, finally, as we conclude, how does mediation then enhance, how does it help our relationship with God? How does it help our relationship with God? One, we can rest assured. We can rest assured. I know we may have found it concerning that, hey, if it's a matter of how well we measure up to, the, to keeping God's commandments, mm, it's going to be close. No, it's not going to be close. We can rest assured, assured that Jesus mediates for us. We can rest assured that Jesus knows what we go through. Jesus knows where we attempted. Jesus knows right where we are weak and he makes intercession for us in the presence of God. Uh, of course, that's not license for slackness. It's not li license for us to just, yeah, continue in sin that grace may abound. No. But so that we don't get beat up by the devil when he comes around saying, if you read your Bible today, have you prayed? Have you prayed for 10% of your time today or this week? Have you had, listen, those things will enhance, those things will build us up in our relationship with God. They will, but so that we're not condemned or judged or damned um, when the adversary comes around to condemn. Um, the other thing, how it enhances our relationship with God. Jesus lives to guarantee our relationship with God based on his grace 
toward us. He lives to guarantee a relationship with God based on his grace toward us. What is the confidence that we have? What is the confidence that you have of salvation in God? Is it based on anything less than the shed blood of Christ? Is it based on anything more than the shed blood of Jesus Christ? What's the confidence that you have? Um, do you think God will change his mind? Do you ever think that it's a matter of when I get there, we'll see. If my works, my good works outweigh my bad works, then I'm in. No. God assures us, and Jesus lives to guarantee that. The fact that he is alive, having been crucified, is God's testimony to the fact that, yeah, this one lives to make intercession for all those who place their trust in him. Another thing this does for us, we can approach God freely. We really can approach God freely and confidently on account of Jesus Christ. We can approach God freely. Um, the writer of Hebrews calls us to come boldly and confidently into the presence of God because he has opened the way for us through that veil that existed into the holy of holies, right into the presence of God. We can come there because Jesus is there. We can come there because Jesus is there. So, if you find yourself standing or even wherever, condemned, judged, questioned about your salvation with God, and you've put your trust in him already, hey, you know right where to go. Straight into the presence of God, looking for God to bring comfort, looking for God to bring assurance, looking for God to bring confident hope, confident trust, because Jesus is in there. The scripture describes him like an anchor for our souls. We're here in life buffeted by all kinds of challenges, buffeted by all kinds of temptations because of our human nature. Yet, Jesus is right there giving us assurance that as we place our trust in him, we can be sure we can be sure, regardless of what the temptations are that come our way, regardless of what the, the doubts and the darts that Satan throws against us, we can be sure and approach God freely on account of Jesus Christ. And yes, finally, we can be sure that Jesus intercedes continually in God's presence for us. He intercedes continually in God's presence for us. Let me um, conclude on this, with this, on this note. Jesus is one who continually is, is alive and is appointed by God, both for us and for God, in order to bring us into a close relationship with him. He stands as the one mediator that there is 
between God and man. Uh, Paul writes this to Timothy when he says that there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Let's trust and have confidence this week that in our relationship with God, Jesus serves as a good mediator, one who assures every promise that God has made concerning those who will trust in him, one who will uphold God's promises to us, one who even in our relationship with God brings us closer, gives us confidence to come to God for our hope and for our salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you that we're able to come into your presence by virtue of our mediator, Jesus Christ, our mediator, both yours and ours, we can stand confidently in your presence knowing that um, the Lord has taken away every hostility. He has turned away wrath, being our propitiation, our Passover. He intercedes for us. Indeed, in your presence making our case. And now, Lord, even brings us closer to you because he mediates for us. Lord, I pray that um, if there be any who are unsure about their relationship with you, if it's been on the basis of something that you no longer count or regard, Lord, I pray, bring that understanding, bring that insight through Jesus, our mediator, again. As many as have come to place trust in you, Lord God, establish our hearts in faith that we may come boldly into your presence again. Thank you, Heavenly Father, even for this, for such a mediator as this, the one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.